All right, we're going to end today our sermon series, Gather, Grow, Go. We are in part six. This is the sixth installment of Gather, Grow, Go. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to dive right into the text today because there's so much to cover. We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. So I want to I wanna bring this sermon home. I want to bring this series home for you today. And so we're going to dive into the last command that Jesus gave to his disciples right before he ascended into heaven. We're going to start in Matthew 28, and here's what it says. It says this, Jesus came to his disciples, and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore, somebody help me, go. Yeah, no, go, not therefore, go. (laughs) All right, let's say it together. Therefore, go go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Today, for the next few moments, I'm going to speak on the subject, the mandate to multiply. The mandate to multiply. Let's take a moment. Let's bow our heads. Let's still our hearts. Let's eliminate any distractions in our mind. And let's focus on God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the mandate to go into all the world to proclaim the gospel. We thank you that you have called us and you have called us to commitment and you have commissioned us to go and proclaim your truth to all nations, to all people, to to everyone around the world. I pray, Lord God, that you would give us the courage today to follow your command and the wisdom to know how to do it. We thank you, we love you, we praise you, and we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Um, I want to start with a question. I I can just, this is, let me just say this at the beginning. I am so excited about this sermon. You, you might just feel some energy from me because this is where this whole sermon series has been leading to. Uh, we started in, in Matthew 4 where Jesus began to gather his disciples and then he began to grow his disciples. And at the end of his ministry, he sent his disciples out. He said, I'm gonna strengthen you in order to send you. I'm gonna develop you in order to deploy you. And today we are on that part of the, the, the series, the, the deployment, the sending out. Um, so I wanna ask a question of you today and here's the question. Here's the question. You don't have to answer out loud. The question is, how did you end up here? How did you end up here? I'm not, I'm not asking about your mode of transportation, about how you got to, to, the, to the Tivoli or to Shaw. I'm asking, how did you end up becoming a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus? How did you end up becoming a follower of Jesus? Or if you're not a follower of Jesus, but you're curious about Jesus, you're learning about Jesus, how did you end up even being curious about Jesus? How did you end up coming around Jesus and starting to learn about him? And, 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 and I'm answering the question for you because about 99% of us ended up in this position because somebody either brought Jesus to us or somebody brought us to Jesus. There's always somebody else that brings us to Jesus or brings Jesus to us. That is how we end up becoming followers of Jesus. I can look back at my life and point to all of the people who either brought Jesus to me or brought me to Jesus, right? So my, my grandparents, 
were part of bringing me to Jesus on both sides. The Romans and the Aidens were, were part of bringing me to Jesus. My parents brought me to Jesus every Sunday. They brought me to Jesus. I mean, I'm, I'm just telling you, like from day one, I, was on, I grew up under the church pew. pew you know, like I, 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 I grew up in the church. And, and my parents would bring me into the presence of God, bring me into the body of Christ. As I got older, my sisters were, were instrumental in bringing me to Christ. My cousins, my aunts and uncles were critical in bringing me to Christ. They were on their knees praying for me. They were conveying the gospel to me. I had a college roommate when I was not following Jesus that was, that was always trying to bring me to Jesus. His name was Ian Noyce. He would bring, he would bring the gospel to me. I had, uh, I had my godfather, a guy named Phil Muncy, who would, who would proclaim the gospel to me and, br- and try to bring me to Jesus. My pastor, Bishop Claude Alexander, was instrumental in bringing me to Jesus. My uncle, Uncle Norman Rutson, instrumental in bringing me to Jesus. So there were a lot of people in my life that, that helped me to get to where I am right now. The, the, the way I ended up here was the Holy Spirit used a lot of people to bring me to Jesus, And the reality is that is the truth for every single one of us. God uses people like you and me to bring other people to Jesus or to bring Jesus to them. And the reality is this was his plan from the very beginning. This is is how he did it from the very beginning. And I'll show you that even in Matthew chapter 4, at the very beginning, when Jesus was gathering, he was in the gather stage. There's the gather, grow, and the go stage. In the gather stage, he was already pointing to the go stage. Let me show you what I mean. Matthew chapter 4, when he came to Peter and Andrew, they were fishing. They were on their boats. They were fishing. Scripture says this. Jesus came to them, uh, verse 19, Matthew 4, and he said, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of people. I will send you out, he said, to fish for people. I want you to get this because even in the very beginning of his ministry, he saw the end of his ministry. The end of his ministry was, I'm going to send these people out. I'm going to build them. I'm going to strengthen them. I'm going to develop them. But then I'm going to send them out, and they're going to be my emissaries. They're going to be my delegates. They're going to be my ambassadors. So at the very beginning, he gave us the reality of where this thing is going. He said, I'm going to to draw you in in order to send you out. If you want to to capture the essence of, of what Jesus is teaching us in this commission, it's this. The final mark of a Christian is multiplication. The final mark of a Christian is multiplication. He calls us to go into the world and proclaim the gospel to every creature. Now, here's what I know that probably many of you are feeling. Many of you are saying, yeah, I, I like intellectually, I get that. I get that the, that the Great Commission is for me, that I am called to go proclaim the gospel, but that makes me nervous. That makes me a little anxious. Me going out sharing my faith in Jesus with somebody else makes me feel a little bit nervous. Anybody, anybody feeling that way right, right now this morning? You don't, you don't even have to raise your hand because I know you're feeling it. I know you're already feeling it. Many of you are like, nah, I'm ready. Let's go preach, right? The reality is many of us feel anxious about going out and sharing our faith. We don't want to force our faith on somebody. We, we, we have a lot of hesitation around that. So what I want to do today is I'm going to, I'm going to do three things, right? And it's going, to be, it's going to be a lot, so I'm just hang with me. We're going to do three things. The first thing is I want, to give you, I want to give you three compelling reasons that Jesus gives us to share our faith. Three compelling reasons to share your faith, okay? I'm going to talk through those. Then I'm going to give you three of our main reasons that we are hesitant. Why do we hesitate to share our faith? Why do we hesitate to, why do we hesitate to proclaim the gospel of Jesus? I'm going to give you three of those. And then I'm going to give you uh, three ways to overcome those fears 
and, and practical steps to go out and share your faith. Are you with me this morning, somebody? Because Jesus is saying, look, I, I called you in order to send you out. I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to develop you. I'm going to deploy you. And, and, and I'm going to send you out into the world to proclaim the gospel to every creature. So let's start with the three powerful reasons to proclaim the gospel and to share your faith. The first one is simply this, personal transformation. Personal, personal transformation. I can tell you that there was a moment in my life where there was a turnaround. When I became a follower of Jesus, my life changed significantly, substantially. Now, not not all at once, but I was going one direction with my life. And then when I became a true follower of Jesus, when I put my faith in Jesus, that turned my ship around and I started going a different direction. You can ask my wife. She knew me before Christ and she knows me after, after Christ, right? She, so, so what happens is when we follow Jesus, when we truly put our faith in Jesus, it changes us, it transforms us for the better. Now, I'm somebody who loves to share resources. So if I watch a, a, a cool movie or if I see a good uh, TV show or if I listen to a good podcast or I read a good book or read a good article or blog, I'm going to send it to you. If, it, if it's had a positive impact on me, I want it to have a positive impact on you. That's just the reality, right? If something was good for me, I want it to be good for you. So what I want to say to you today is if Jesus has not transformed your life, if Jesus has not made your life better, then by all means, do not share the gospel with anybody else because you might not have it. Man, I probably could just end the sermon right there, couldn't I? But if Jesus has transformed your life, redeemed you, renewed you, restored you, repaired you in some way, then then there is a great opportunity for you to be a part of that personal transformation in somebody else's life. And I want to say personally, I thank God for every single person that I named earlier that was part of my personal transformation by bringing the gospel to me. There were people that came to me and brought the gospel. When Jesus talks about those who don't follow him, he uses three metaphors. I'm going to give you three metaphors. Here's a picture of the metaphors that Jesus uses. Lost coin, lost sheep, lost son. The gospel of Luke, he he uses three things. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost sheep, lost son. Everybody that you know who is not following Jesus falls into one of these categories. The lost coin is somebody who is lost and doesn't know they're lost. Because a coin can't know they're lost. But they're lost. Coin is is somebody who's lost and doesn't know they're lost. The sheep represents somebody who's lost, knows they're lost, but doesn't know how to get home. And the son represents somebody who's lost, knows they're lost, and knows their way home. It just needs a little prompting to get there. Everybody you know falls into one of those three categories. And what they need is somebody like you who's got the gospel, who's a follower of Jesus to go, hey, can I help point you to the, to, can, I, can I help point you home? Can I help bring you home? Can I help show you the way back to the Father? Can I take you from lostness to foundness? Personal transformation is a powerful and compelling reason for you to share your faith. That's number one. Number two, the second reason is social transformation. When people become followers of Jesus, and I'm talking about true, died in the wool, followers of Jesus, truly obeying Christ's commands, they change the world. They fundamentally transform the world. I'm going to read you a few things that Christians have done after, after putting their faith in Jesus. Are you ready? You're not going to be able to write this down. This is, this is a lot. The church is the single largest provider of health care on the planet, working especially in some of the poorest countries where no other options are available. 
That's the church. That's, that's work of, of Christians. Christians are the largest single provider of education on the planet where other educational opportunities are limited or non-existent. In other words, where places where people don't get an education, Christians form the largest provider of education. Christians launched the world's first hospitals around the globe, providing care for anybody in need. Christians were responsible for the formation of the Red Cross, which provides disaster relief around the globe. Christians pioneered the modern discipline of social work, founding the first settlement houses in the United States. Christians developed the first orphanages in the world. Christians drafted the first medical child labor laws. Christians pioneered medical and social services to care for the elderly and disabled, which gave rise to modern-day nursing homes. Christians, more than any other group, advocated for the abolition of the transatlantic slave trade. Christians led the civil rights movement. Christians were the first to advocate for prison reform. Christians pioneered hospice care for the terminally ill. Christians have always been at the forefront of the movement caring for refugees and immigrants. Christians launched the international fair trade movement. Habitat for Humanity was founded by Christians, as was the Salvation Army and tens of thousands of homeless shelters and relief agencies for the poor and downtrodden, including our brothers at Stepping Into the Light, including our brothers at Inexcelsius. Christians are responsible for developing libraries in Western society, dramatically impacting learning, literacy, and culture. The YWCA and the YMCA were founded by Christians. World Vision, one of the largest relief agencies on the planet, was founded by Christians. Christians have been at the forefront of the human rights and women's rights around the globe. According to World Economic Forum, nine of the ten best nations on earth for women's rights have majority Christian populations. The field of professional nursing was started by Florence Nightingale, who was inspired by her Christian faith. The microfinance movement was started by Christians. The first deaf, a college for the deaf was founded by Christians. The field of modern foster care was founded by Christians. The first humane societies for the prevention of cruelty to animals were founded by Christians. Amnesty International was founded by Christians. Alcoholics Anonymous, founded by Christians. Oxfam, a pioneer in modern famine relief, founded by Christians. Nearly all of the first colleges and universities in the United States and many of the first HBCUs in the United States were founded by Christians. Harvard, Yale, Morehouse, Xavier. And Christians have been the world's leaders in pioneering literacy, food distribution, relief for impoverished children, medical missions, surgeries for infants, and famine relief around the globe. All of that started by followers of Jesus. When, you, when, when people follow Jesus, it changes the society. Now, I know what some people will say, right? Some people will say, but yeah, but haven't Christians done a lot of bad things too, right? I mean, Christians, Christians were part of the, Christians did the Crusades. You know, Christians were part of the slave trade. They started the slave trade, right? The Christians have done a lot of bad things. And the answer to that is, yes, absolutely, that is true. But just because Christians haven't followed Jesus' teachings doesn't mean we abandon Christianity. It means we step up as Christians and say, wait a minute, Christians, we ain't doing it right. Let's do it the right way. Let's follow Jesus for real. Like, like just because somebody in the name of Jesus violates one of his commands, that doesn't give cause for us to step away from Jesus. That gives cause for us to step into the gospel and say, this isn't the right way to do it, y'all. Don't hate Jesus just because his followers messed up. Let's be his real followers and let's do the right thing, somebody. Are you with me? If you want to live in a world where the poor are fed, the vulnerable are protected, where racism is stamped out, injustice is stamped out, where, where good, peace, joy, happiness, love, truth prevails, follow Jesus and bring some other people along with you. All right, somebody? Personal transformation and social transformation happens when we genuinely follow Jesus, when we love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. It transforms the world. So that's two reasons to share your faith. Third reason is this, eternal implications. 
Personal transformation, social transformation, eternal implications. Jesus made this audacious statement, basically saying, if you believe in me, if you follow me, I'll give you eternal life. When you die, you won't die. If you believe in me, though you were dead, yet shall you live, right? He said, I will give you eternal life when you put your faith in me. The apostle Paul came along with the gospel of Rome, or the epistle of Romans and said this. He said, everybody in, in Romans 10, everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When you put your faith in Jesus, it has eternal implications. How then can they call on the, name, on the one that they have not believed in? In other words, how can people call on the name of the Lord if they haven't, if they haven't believed in him? And how can they believe in, in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without somebody preaching to them? And how can anybody preach to them unless they're sent? As it is written, he said, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I don't know about you, but I want to be part, a part of the eternal implications of somebody else's soul. I really do. I mean, I, I, I think it's just profound. We don't think about this a lot because we're kind of focused on this earth and this life. But, but there's eternal life available to those who follow Jesus. And when you bring somebody into the fold, when you bring somebody to Christ, you have, a, you have an opportunity to partner with Christ in bringing eternal life to them. And that is a powerful reality. That is a powerful, powerful reality. I, I could go deep into that, but I'm not going to do it because there's a lot of theology we can unpack there. But I, I, the scripture says heaven rejoices when one sinner comes to God. Right? I want to be, be the person that says, let me bring you into eternal life. Let, let, me be a part, let, the, let the Holy Spirit use me to bring somebody into eternal life. Are you with me, somebody? So that's three incredibly compelling reasons to bring people to Jesus or to bring Jesus to people. So why don't we do it? Why are we nervous about doing it? Why are we hesitant about doing it? I'm going to give you three reasons. Ready? Here's the first one. First one is fear of rejection. If I tell somebody about Jesus... Or if I, if I tell somebody that I'm a follower of Jesus, they might reject me, right? That's a, that's a real fear that some of us experience, that some of us feel. But let me ask you something. How many of you have, maybe, maybe you're single now or in your single life, how many of you were, were, wanted to ask somebody out, but you were afraid that they would say no? Anybody ever had that experience? Okay, just me and you, <laughs> two of us. It's only two of us. Well, let me explain how this works then, if you've never experienced it. So, so when you want to ask somebody out, right, the thing that keeps you from doing it is, what, what if she says no? What if she says no? But can I give you a little hint? If you don't ask her, then you said no for her. You didn't even give her a chance to say yes because you were too afraid that she's going to say no. So the answer is no if you don't ask. Because you're saying it for the other person. If you are so afraid to tell somebody about Jesus because they might reject you, then you're saying no for them. You are saying no on their behalf. And it's not a good enough reason. It is not a good enough reason to, to not tell somebody about Jesus just because you are afraid that you'll be rejected. And actually, let me take it one step closer. You will be rejected. Let me just ease that. Let me just, we used to call it pulling the sting. Let me pull the sting right now. You're going to get rejected if you start to share the gospel with people. Some people are not going not gonna to go along. Some people will reject you. Some people will reject the gospel. Some people will reject you. Some people will reject both. And that will happen. In fact, Jesus promised that that will happen. And, and, and he said, don't, not only don't worry about that, he said you should actually celebrate that. Let me read you this. Luke 6, 
Jesus says, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you, and when they reject your name as evil because of me. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. In other words, he's saying people are going to reject you from time to time. Don't let that get you down. He said that. In fact, if he, as, as he keeps going on, he says that's what they did to the prophets. They will reject you, and that's okay. If a hundred people reject you and one person says yes to the gospel, it's worth it, y'all. It's worth it because, because there are eternal implications to, to bringing the gospel. So fear of rejection, the only response to, that I have for us for that is we got to get over that. <laughs> we got to be like, okay, that's going to happen, right? You got you to ask. You got to put it out there and see what happens. Amen. It got real quiet. Praise the Lord. All right. <laughs> number, number two, second reason that we're afraid to share the gospel is lack of confidence. Lack of confidence. So in some cases, we think like, man, I'm a, I'm a little nervous about sharing the gospel because I don't have all the words and I don't have all the theology and, and what if they ask this? I don't have all the answers, so I lack confidence to do it. Like, I'm a little bit afraid of doing it, right? That's, that's what some of us experience and that's what some of us feel. And, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a normal reaction. In fact, when I was, when I was in college, I didn't, want to take, I didn't want to take the standardized tests because I lacked confidence in my ability to pass them. I don't know if any of you ever had that experience, but I, I remember thinking to myself, some people think I'm smart. I'm not smart. And if I take the test, it's going to prove that I'm not smart. And I don't want to prove that I'm not smart, right? Because I got everybody fooled. Um, and so a friend of mine came to me and he goes, you know what you should do? You should take a prep course. He said, you should take a prep course because if you take a prep course, then you'll probably do better on the test. So, so this is before I, I went to, to law school. I went and took a prep course. This is the Kaplan LSAT course. And I took that course, and I spent a couple months studying and preparing for the test. And can I just tell y'all, I rocked that test. Can I just be real with you? I mean, I rocked that test. I really did. Um, and and the, the reason is because I, I actually lacked confidence. But when I, when I got some preparation under my belt, when I spent a little time learning and growing, then I could approach that test with some confidence, and I knew what I was talking about. I mean, I, wasn't the, I didn't get the best score, but I did a lot better than I thought I was going to do. But it wasn't... If I had acted on my lack of confidence, I would have never took the test. But when somebody said the, the, the remedy to lack of confidence is preparation, I said, oh, okay, that's a different approach. Let me look at that. This is what, this is what Peter says when, in his epistle. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. What he's saying is if you lack confidence, if you don't have the reasons lined up, don't let that be a, a, a catalyst for retreat. Let that be a catalyst for advancement. Let that be a catalyst for preparation. Let that be an opportunity to get in the word and start to grow in the word and develop an understanding for the reason that you have for the hope that lies within you. We're going to do this 40 days of prayer and fasting, uh, as I've been talking about. We start that Wednesday. I've got a graphic for you on the, on the website. This is the website that you'll, that you'll hit. If you go home today, go to onefamilychurch.com slash 40 days, there's a massive amount of resources available to you. Prayer resources, scripture resources, like audible scripture resources. My prayer for you is that we use this 40 days to get equipped that we get so we can get prepared, so we can make the impact that God has for us to make, right? This, this calendar, as I mentioned, you'll get this on your way out, but this calendar has got, has got scriptures for you to memorize every day. I, I want us to be a church that does not lack confidence. I do not want us to lack confidence in Christ. 
right? I want us to revere Christ as our Lord and Savior. And then we have, a, we, have a, we have prepared to be able to give a reason for the cause of the hope that lies within us, right? So, so lack of confidence, the, the response to lack of confidence is not retreat, it's advance. Amen, somebody? That's number two. The third reason, the third reason, I told you there's a lot. The third reason that we sometimes hesitate to proclaim the gospel is fear of being misunderstood. Fear of being misunderstood. And this is, a, this is a fear or an anxiety that many of us will experience, which is, I know what people think about Christians, so if I let people know that I am a Christian, all of those, mis, uh, all those uh, misunderstandings that they have about Christians, they will apply to me, Right? And, and there's a chance that that will happen. In fact, there's a likelihood that that will happen. Barna Research did a survey recently, and they found that 16 to 29-year-olds, young people, 16 to 29-year-olds, exhibit a greater degree of criticism and skepticism towards Christianity than did any previous generation. The, the current young adults have a, a, a critical or skeptical view of Christianity, um, the non-Christian young people. This is, a, this is a pretty stark statistic. Currently, just 16% of non-Christians in their late teens and 20s said they have a good impression of Christianity. 16% of non-Christian young adults have a good impression of Christianity. That means 84% have a bad impression of Christianity. 84% of non-Christian young adults in the United States have a bad, uh, uh, a bad impression They view Christians as judgmental, bigoted, anti-scientific, anti-intellectual, and hypocritical. That's how they view Christians. So so the response to that is not to hide in that misunderstanding. The response to that is is to get understood. Is to reorient people's understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because if there's a misunderstanding, the last thing you want to do is to allow that misunderstanding to keep circulating. In fact, one of the things that I love to do, I love doing this. I love to get to know people, and I, get, I know a lot of people that are not Christians. And I, I love getting to know people that I know are perhaps even antagonistic towards Jesus. And after I've spent time getting to know them and in relationship with them, and enjoying them and hanging out and talking, then I like to drop the bomb and be, and be like, you know, I'm a pastor, you know. <laughs> and then they, it's like their eyes cross. It's like this cognitive dissonance. They're like, eh? Right? I, this is my favorite moment. I'm like, yeah. And it's like so funny because like there's like, they stutter like I'm stuttering right now. They're just like, uh, what, uh, uh, like they have an impression of Christians, but a lot of times they just never met a Christian that's just like, a, a, just a Christian, like a real Christian, like somebody who loves people and who loves God. And so you have an opportunity to change people's minds. You, the, the best way to, 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 to stop people from misunderstanding you is to make yourself understood. Is to step forward and be the real Christian, the real example of Jesus. To let people know that, hey, actually, you don't have to be judgmental, hypocritical, bigoted, anti-scientific, and anti-intellectual to be a Christian. You can be a follower of Jesus who loves God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And by the way, I love you with everything I've got, right? And you transform people's understanding of what it means to be a Christian. So, 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 Fear of being misunderstood is not a good enough reason to not share your faith. Fear of rejection is not a good enough reason. Lack of confidence is not a good enough reason. Fear of being misunderstood is not a good enough reason. So, 
if we have these compelling reasons to share our faith, and we have these not so compelling reasons to avoid sharing our faith, right? These weak reasons to not share our faith. Then how do we actually say yes to sharing our faith? How do we become somebody who actually does what Jesus called us to do? Proclaim the gospel to every creature, to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. How do we actually do that? Well, let me start by telling you how to not do it. Can I do that real quick? When I was a, when I was a teenager, I worked at, I was a host at Casa Gallardo up in Bridgeton, okay? And that was my, like one of my first jobs. And I remember I was, I, I was going to clean the table after a group, of, a group of people left. I didn't know they were Christians at the time. Actually, they might not have been. But anyway, so, so this group of people ate. This group of people ate, and I was going to help bust the table. And on the table, there was a $20 bill. And I was like, man, that is really nice. You know, that's, that's a nice tip. This is back, this is back a few years. So that, that was a big tip. So I, I go to pick up the $20 bill. But it wasn't really a $20 bill. It was a Christian tract. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? That was, looked like a $20 bill. And then you open it up and it said, here's a tip. Jesus loves you. I was like, here's a tip. Get out of my face, right? <laughs> That's not how to spread the gospel, y'all. <laughs> That's not how you do it. In case you were wondering, don't do that. <laughs> That's why people don't like Christians right there. <laughs> All right, so how do, we, how do we share our faith? I'm gonna give you three ways, ready? Show, shine, speak. Show, shine, speak. This is how we share our faith. Show it, we shine it, we speak it. Number one, show your faith. One of the most interesting and slightly confusing metaphors of Jesus is found in Matthew 5 in his teachings where he says, Matthew 5, 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. That is a weird thing to say, right? What does that even mean? You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be more salty? How can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Salt of the earth, what he's saying in this is salt was a very, 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 very expensive mineral at that time in the first century because there were no refrigerators, there were no coolers, there were no freezers. There was no way to keep good things from decaying. Food would decay if it, if it, if it wasn't packed in salt. Salt was the way to preserve something good, to keep something good good. If, it, if, if you didn't pack it in salt, something good would go bad. In fact, uh, we went to, when we were in Israel, we went to, um, to where um, Mary Magdalene lived. And there's a little town, Magdalene. There's a little village. And it was a, it was a fish packing village. And they just packed the fish with salt. And then they would ship it all over Galilee. Because it was extremely, salt was extremely expensive because it kept good things good. And it kept good things from going bad. What Jesus is saying is, here's how to be a Christian. Here's how to show your faith. Keep good things from going bad. Keep things from decaying. Keep your family, your friendships, your school, your village, your, your community from decaying. How? By, by being good, right? So speak the truth in situations where you could lie. Stand up for justice when there's injustice. Stand up for the vulnerable when others are trampling over them. Like, like be righteous when others are being unrighteous. Be salty is what he's saying. Show your faith. And that, what that does is that keeps good things good. And it keeps good things from decomposing. It keeps good relationships from decomposing. It keeps good job 
environments from decomposing, from, from decaying, right? He's saying, show your faith. Just, just be good. Just be righteous in unrighteous situations. That's number one, show your faith. Number two is shine your faith. Right below, uh, right below that metaphor, he uses another metaphor. He says, you are the light of the world. Light of the world. A town bit on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp, put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. It gives light to everybody in the house. In the same way, he said, let your light shine before, before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What he's doing here is saying, take it from the personal to the public. Like, let people see the goodness that you do. So, so go into the world and feed the poor. Go into the world, clothe the naked. Bring healing to the sick. Stand up for the oppressed. Protect the vulnerable. Go into the world because people will see your good works. They'll see through you to the God you serve. So not, not only in your private sphere, do what's right, but in the public sphere, do what's right. Because now you're, you're being salt. You're showing your faith. In the public sphere, you're shining your faith. Light reveals. It re- reveals justice and it reveals injustice. It, re- it reveals good and it reveals evil. Be a light in, your, in, in the way you operate in the world. This is, this is why we as a church, we want to be a place, and I've said this so many times, where people may or may not agree with our theology, but they cannot argue with our actions. They cannot argue with our behavior because what we do is we shine light into every situation, into every corner that we touch. Show your faith, shine your faith. And the third one is simply this, speak your faith. In other words, at some point, you got to use words. You know how when you're, when you, if you, if you ever have little kids around, eventually you got to say to them, hey, use your words, right? Use your words. Say what you mean. When, in, in, in the gospel, in the, in the Great Commission, the way that Mark wrote it, he said this in chapter 16. I'm about to close on this. He said, go into all the world, and then he used this word, preach the gospel to all creation. Preach it, meaning proclaim, announce, persuade. At some point, you've got to convey who Jesus is to the people that you're trying to reach. You've got to actually speak it. Not just your actions, but eventually you've also got to use your words. Proclaim, persuade, preach, announce the gospel. How do we do that? I'm going to give you two strategies, then I'm going to close. When you look through the gospels, people did it two ways. Either they, if they had somebody who needed Jesus, either they would go to Jesus and go, Jesus, can you please come to my house? This is what the centurion did. Can you come to my, my house? My servant, my servant is in trouble. This is what Jairus did. Jairus said, my daughter is sick. And she's like, can you please come? They wanted to bring Jesus to the person that needed Jesus, right? The other way that they would do, and you see this all through the gospels, is they would bring the sick person to Jesus, right? The friends uh, opened up the, the roof of the house when the guy was paralyzed, and they, they literally brought their friend to Jesus. People would bring, in fact, Matthew 4, we read this at the beginning, people from all over, all over the Decapolis and Judea and Israel and all that, they brought the sick and those were, who were in need, they brought them to Jesus. So those are your two strategies. Either you bring Jesus to somebody else, or you bring somebody to Jesus, all right? So how do we bring Jesus to somebody? The simplest way to do that is to tell your story. When you get into a friendship or relationship with somebody, at some point there will be an opportunity where they need Jesus and you know they need Jesus and they might know they need Jesus, but if not, you can still share your story. Let them understand how Jesus changed you. Let them know, look, this is what happened for me. Bring Jesus to them. That's how you bring Jesus to them. How to bring them to Jesus. 
I just want to encourage you on this. You can bring your friends and family to church. This is actually the body of Christ. This is, you are, we are. When you bring somebody to church, you're actually bringing them to the body of Christ. They're going to hear the word. They're going to hear, they're going to hear worship. They're going to experience the love of the body. They're going to experience hospitality and friendship, warmth, love. That's what they're going to experience. That's what they're going to, you're bringing them to Jesus. God can redeem them and restore them and repair them and renew them. I'm going to give you a very practical way to do it, okay? I've actually prepared a text message for you. You can just copy and paste this text message. Ready? Here it goes. Here's the text message. Let's see the text. Hey, friend. My church is starting a new sermon series next week about relationships. You'll love it. Want to come? Real casual, like wanna. You know what I mean? We can grab lunch after. Here's a link. OneFamilyChurch.com. If you've got a good emoji game, throw some of that in there. And you're good to go. Bring people to Jesus. Bring Jesus to somebody. Be a part of somebody's transformation. Here's what I want for us. Here's what I want for me. Here's what I want for you. I want future generations to say, how did I end up here? I ended up here because of him. I ended up here because of her. I ended up following Jesus because this person told me about it at work. I ended up following Jesus because this person shared their story with me, shared their testimony. This person invited me to church. I want to be one of the people that people then point back to and say, he was a multiplier. God used that person to bring me to Jesus, just like so many people have been a part of bringing me to Jesus. I want to be that. I want you to be that. I want us to, 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 to fulfill the final mark of a Christian, which is to be a multiplier. And if you are still anxious and still nervous and still worried about sharing your faith, just remember the last words that Jesus said in the Great Commission after he said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, and, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. He, he gives this command, this mandate to multiply, but this is how he ends it. He says, and surely, Matthew 28, and surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Here's what I want you to do. Write down the name of one person you will share your faith with this week. Write down the name of one person. You don't have to share it with anybody else. Write down the name of one person. There's somebody in your life that's a lost coin, a lost sheep, or a lost son. You have an opportunity to bring Jesus to them or bring them to Jesus. Make the commitment. My prayer for us, church, is that we follow the teachings of Jesus, that we are called, that we're committed, that we're commissioned. So as we end this series, let me just say to all of us, church, let's gather. Let's bring people in. Let's gather. Let's grow. Let's build, let's, let's build ourselves up in the Lord. Let's develop ourselves in, in discipleship. Let's gather. Let's grow. And ultimately, somebody, say it with me. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go be the church 2024. Will you bow your heads? Let's pray. God, you're so good. 
Your word is righteous. Your word is strong and beautiful. It cuts through all the noise. I pray today, Lord God, that you would inspire us. Give us your courage, the courage to go be a multiplier, to bring people into eternal life. Give us the wisdom to know how to do it with gentleness and respect. Let us be your emissaries, your ambassadors. Let us be your delegates. Let us be your disciples. We love you, we thank you, we honor you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen, amen.